Hey guys, Bleeding, Claren Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale. We are back. Sorry about the one-week hiatus. A lot of schedule, travel, technical difficulties that are entirely my fault. So uh, we're glad to be back in the mix, coming off a big home win against Kansas City on a Sunday night, sold out Rio Tinto Stadium. And we're looking ahead to Dallas. We've got the MLS Next Pro Tournament in town. And uh, guys getting healthy, guys coming back in the lineup. We'll have a little interview today with EVP of Soccer Operations for Real Salt Lake, Rob Zarcos, a frequent friend of the program. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing with your friends, family, and social circles. Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt, brought to you by One Wire Fiber. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you. If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from One Wire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and One Wire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, One Wire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. All right, Ryan, let's get right into looking back at a rare Sunday regular season home match against rival sporting Kansas City. I would say the truest of all of our rivals ahead of Colorado. I'd probably put Portland and Seattle, maybe even the Galaxy in there just because we have had playoff battles with those teams where each team has knocked each other out of various uh, playoff campaigns. Um, Not to sniff at the Rocky Mountain Cup, but RSL has won 13 of the last 16. I would say 13 of the last 15 because 2020 is a separate issue, which we covered on this pod a few weeks ago. But uh, look, Sporting Kansas City isn't uh, the team that Peter Vermees is used to having. Uh, They've not had a good year, but it was, I think, a very therapeutic, dominant 3 nothing home win for RSL. Probably could have been a lot worse uh, after the Roger Espinosa red card. Um, just in general, what were your thoughts on that game, Ryan, that saw uh, Justin Glad return to the lineup? We'll get into the numbers with and without Justin. They're extremely stark since 2016, and they're even uh, starker this year. And then obviously Jefferson Savarino with a goal and an assist and uh, a slight formation change from Pablo Mastroianni really seems to have uh, – a once anemic attack kind of back uh, clicking on all cylinders. At least it was Sunday. Yeah, it was it was a fun one to be to be in the stadium for. I don't know. After a week of uh, 
cliff jumping, I guess, let's say, uh, when you give up a late goal and the tie that feels like the loss to the hated rivals, <laughs> Colorado, yep. and then uh, you go away and then you just don't perform. Like there was something about that Atlanta game that just didn't, I mean, that one felt like a missed opportunity, even though Atlanta's not been a good place for right. RSL. East Coast stars not. It is just. It still feels like turf. like yeah, just the turf. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing. And like, I don't want to. I mean, I guess we could probably spend hours talking about this again, like we did with Minnesota or whatever. But um, when we do come back, like the way the feeling in the stadium is like, I don't know. I've, I've brought people to almost every home yeah. game this this season, and to see like people that haven't been um, part of the RSL you know, home game experience recently, yeah. or especially this year. Sure. And to see them like, even on a Sunday after, on a Sunday night, like it was like, look at what's happening here. This is an mm -hmm. amazing place to be. So anyway, but yes, obviously those goals, like seeing, uh, seeing the, the performance and the, the, the domination too. I mean, yeah. you know, we come against a, a Kansas city team that is obviously maybe in a worse place than RSL has been in for a long time. I don't think that, I don't think it's fun being a Kansas city fan right now. Whenever you dive into like a post win, like social media, yeah. like you go in there and everybody's like, well, trying to explain why this win wasn't that great of a win. Yeah. Like the reality is you have to win this one and you have to win it with authority. And I think that was what happened. So I, I noticed on the national social media, people were like, why did he, why did he quit over take off a shirt? You know, they're, <laughs> they're not winning a cup here, but the, 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 um, I think Dunny says, like someone back and watched the, the broadcast yeah. and he's like, yeah, he earned it. I mean, this is, he was been waiting for this. This is like, this is the, this is the weight off his shoulders. He's taking it off, you know, because I think he, we're waiting for him to, you know, he's finding his feet. I mean, we're halfway through the season yep. and waiting for him to like have one of the games that we see the glimpses of what he's capable of. And that's why it's so frustrating. I think that's why fans are so quick to jump on Cordova's, um, performances when sure. it, when it doesn't happen but then you see the how many off the there's there can't be anybody in this league that has more off the post like shots probably than, not than or maybe Pablo Ruiz but uh <laughs> um you know you watch the body language of the team when they're mm -hmm. scoring you see yeah. uh um I don't know looking at Lampion's uh, uh re recap yep. videos seeing Demir in the in the sure. locker room I mean I love that stuff I love seeing yeah. that there's there's something about the connections that are happening with these guys that are mm -hmm. it's still it's special well and that's what I want to get into cuz like Aaron Herrera does get his first assist of the year uh Michael Chang gets another assist Miram has two assists um you know, Savarino gets an assist and a goal. Cordova gets the goal, narrowly misses a second one just a few minutes later by like an inch. Oh, and yeah. that was before the Espinosa red card. Uh, Savarino, I think, had another goal that was disallowed because of a Ruiz offside that would have made it 4 0. Uh, Zach McMath and the back line, they get another shutout, but Zach didn't really have to do anything. I think he only ended up with one save. I don't remember it being a particularly difficult save. I think it was kind of of a slow roller that went right at him. Um, what I want to talk about quick, because obviously Cordoba is is becoming more comfortable, right? And I think all of us as fans greatly underestimate the amount of time and energy and kind of the serendipity you need to capture when you're assimilating to a new culture, a new team. This is a guy that was in the Bundesliga for five years and did not score a ton of goals, but but did play right at his expected goal average. And um, there's a Twitter account, I think it's called MLS Network, uh, that, that put out some advanced data numbers the other day. And it has Cordoba leads the league in terms of underperforming his <laughs> XG, right? That's something yeah. no forward wants. Yeah, for sure. But it does mean he is 
involved in a lot of chances. He's he's creating chances. He's not finishing. So I guess the glass half full part of me says, okay, if he can progress to the mean, that means these final 13 games of the season, he is going to catch fire. And now I think listening to Pablo Mastroeni this week, he likes what he saw with uh, Cordova at the nine. He's got Savarino playing kind of underneath him off his shoulder a little closer to the goal. And that isn't what we saw from either of them this year, but uh, previously where they're both kind of outside on the wing. So I think a, a lot of great stuff to look forward to with Sergio as he settles in this year, as he continues to just understand what is asked from him. Because look, and Pablo's talked about this ad nauseum. Losing Bobby Wood greatly affected Sergio's movements, especially as the high press um, and the defensive nature of this team starts up top. And, um, you know, it took Sergio some time, but he looked great against Kansas City. I certainly expect him to look great again against Dallas. Savarino with four goals and three assists and only seven games here. Um, that's the second most kind of goal uh, interventions in the league behind Reynoso in this time period. And Emmanuel Reynoso is a $10 million player. So um, there is just a lot to be optimistic about as we go into um, kind of the stretch run. And Ryan, the one last thing I want to talk about the game uh, against Kansas City is the return of Justin Glad, right? He misses the road game in Minnesota. He misses the home game against um, Colorado where we blow the 2-0 lead. And then he he misses the trip to Atlanta, the midweek trip to Atlanta. So let me just read these numbers to you. This year alone, 2022, Glad has missed seven games. RSL, no wins, four losses, three draws in those seven games with 17 goals allowed. So that means we have averaged 0.4 points per game and a goals against average of 2.4. When Glad plays this year, RSL, nine wins, two losses, three draws, with only nine goals allowed. So that's 2.1 points per game and a goals against average of 0.6. So look, we are... Five times we earn five times 500% more points when Glad is on the field than when he's not. And we give up 25% the goals that we give up when he's gone. So uh, it's just, it's different. It's a stark difference this year. Matt Doyle actually in his MLS mailbag, I think on Wednesday, um, since 2016, and I've updated these numbers. But with Glad in the lineup since 2016, so what is that? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, seven seasons. With Glad, 72 wins, 57 losses, 41 ties, 246 goals allowed, 1.6 points per game, goals against average 1.45. Without Glad, 11 wins, 26 losses, 12 ties, uh, 110 goals allowed in only, what, 40 games? Uh, sorry, 49. That's a 0 0.92 points per game, so almost half, and a goals against average of 2.25, so about 75% higher. So clearly, and this is Matt Doyle's argument. I, I have a great deal of respect for Matt Doyle. 
Matt Doyle says, I don't think he's the best center back in the league, but he might be the most important to his team and is on, is the first defender on my list of all-star snubs for this year. And then Doyle finishes his little piece by saying, I hope we get to see him in the U.S. men's national team in the first post-World Cup camp. Now, as you and I have talked about, I had hoped we could get Glad in the all-star game, maybe have him continue on and get into that uh, World Cup team in Qatar. And look, he's still a young guy. Um, but you look at the numbers each week, his speed, his athleticism uh, is excellent. His partnership with Marcelo Silva has been fantastic. Uh, he is cited often by Pablo as a vital communication piece to keep Herrera, Silva, and everybody kind of, um, you know, Ruiz, Lafelson, everybody kind of in the middle of the field and down that right side connected alert and communicating with each other. So can't say enough great things about our man, Justin glad knock on wood. He stays healthy. Uh, the rest of the year, he is expected to be back in the lineup once again, uh, this weekend against Dallas for what we hope will be the 11th straight sellout. So, um, I know we're kind of maybe poo pooing a little bit. The idea of, of more young players coming in the locker room, um, as, as I see people talking about what to do in this transfer window, it's a, a veteran six or a veteran nine, but we did add an 18 year old number 10, um, in late May in Diego Luna. I've seen Diego play now multiple times with RSL, not a long, uh, slog of minutes, uh, although he did get 45 in the first half at Atlanta on a really bad surface in a tough game, as you mentioned earlier. Um, he did go about 65 minutes against Chelsea's U21s. The other night, um, every training session, every time I see him, I'm more and more impressed and more and more excited about what kind of options he can provide for Pablo, uh, either starting or off the bench as we go into the final you know, 13 games of the season. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch. Um, I think that you you see these young kids come in with a lot of hype, and you you worried that you know maybe they're not going to live up to it. I think yeah, there's even history here right. at, at this club for that. But um, I think we we're seeing some things from Diego Luna that I think that are incredibly incredibly positive. Like we so in the last you know we the last week of you know we've had I was just you know four games in the last week if you count like the Monarchs yeah. game yeah. Uh, that have had. Um, opportunity for minutes for Diego Luna specifically. Like he's been, he's played in almost all, all four of those yeah. games, yeah, didn't he? Um, and just just watching him on the on the field and seeing, you know, keep reminding yourself like what how old he is. is yeah, it's is, is crazy. Um, his size is interesting because there's not a lot of players that play that position at his size. Right. I think, but seeing the things he does, the, the the I mean, if you if you watch a lot of soccer, you see things happening, you see plays start develop, and you see like when when he's on the ball, you kind of start to see where his you know. You look at you see what what I've been noticing is that uh, a lot of times they'll make that pass, yeah. and there may not be somebody there. There may be a step behind because they didn't catch; they weren't on the same wavelength as he was until maybe a little bit too late. Maybe that's something that comes with like just communication issues. But yeah. one thing for sure: um, so I was at the I was at the um, Chelsea um, Chelsea two yeah. Monarchs game, um, and watching watching those players like uh, watching those watching the Chelsea players react to Diego Luna was interesting. Cause I don't think they expected the guy in the middle to be that kind of player, you know, coming to playing on this team. Um, we kind of saw that a little bit too with like, with the, the, um, 
Axel Kai interactions on the field. Yeah. Um, I do see that Axel came up against a, a center back that could push back against him. I don't think he comes up against that. It's very not used often. to that. But uh, but yeah, what a, what a great time to see like these players like developing. And you're talking about these young players. Yeah, what is it going to be like? There's a plan. There's a there's there's a wealth of that there here and. Uh, being able to watch a lot of these things happen in front of us is is as exciting as anything that else is happening with this team. Well, we'll see what the final 13 games of the season hold, not just for Diego Luna, but for the entire Real Salt Lake roster. Hopefully Bobby Wood, Demir Krylock, and others coming back relatively soon. Up next, our featured guest interview, Real Salt Lake EVP of Soccer Operations, Rob Zarkos. All right, we are elated to have Real Salt Lake EVP of Soccer Operations, Rob Zarkos, here with us today on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Rob, I think you're, uh, this is your fourth appearance, which makes you the all-time leader in uh, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Do I get a jacket? Um, maybe a gold watch. For number five. For so, number five. Okay. I, yeah. I feel like uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me back. You know, I love seeing you. I feel like I'm always the backup when somebody cancels, though. But you're Mr. You're, you're like the Michael Chang of uh, podcast guests. Yeah. Who, I'm Bob Value, bro. Who this week, Pablo Mastroeni said, is the most <laughs> underrated midfielder in Major League Soccer. Fantastic. Yeah. And so let's talk about Chang for a second. Monarch's product, obviously, he's credited with six assists this year, five of which are game winners. And uh, I think he should have eight assists. I, I've had some disputes with our friends at Opta on, on Mr. Chang's behalf. But, I mean, talk about the epitome of what this club is because he lost some minutes when Savarino came in, but then other injuries happen. The formation changes. He's back in and he's back producing. Yeah, next man up, right? Like exactly. That, his mentality has always been fantastic. He's also a great guy, yeah. which is kind of what we're trying to do here. You know, busted his butt at the Monarchs, earned his opportunity. Um, starting, we had people come in, as you said, no negativity, just buying his time yeah. for his chance, comes in and does it. I mean, I think he's kind of the epitome of a Real Salt Lake player and fantastic guy, too. Um, this is a big week for the Monarchs. So we've had uh, the Monarchs play Chelsea at Rio Tinto Stadium on, was that Tuesday night? Like, the days are bleeding together. But it was really cool for me to see the Monarchs back in the stadium, much less playing Chelsea's under 21s. We've got uh, Wolves under 21s coming up this weekend, Saturday morning, 1030 at Rio Tinto, um, several hours before RSL Dallas that night. Colorado and TFC2 bring their MLS Next Pro teams into town to face Wolves and Chelsea as well. So as the guy kind of um, as the tip of the spear on this project, what is the league looking for in terms of MLS Next Pro? What are Chelsea and Wolves and kind of the EPL2 teams uh, looking to accomplish? And just, um, I guess, let's give the fans a little bit of flavor of, of what's happening in and around this tournament with Harriman and Rio Tinto, uh, Zions Bank and Rio Tinto venues being involved. So the league approached us about four months ago to do this. Their goal, they said, was to really have a robust tournament program with top teams around the world that can play MLS Next Pro to further legitimize the league and, and just kind of show what we're doing here in America yeah. and create a great environment and experience for the players, right, in the, in the clubs as a, as a knock-on benefit to this program, MLS Next Pro. It died. It died about three weeks later. I don't know, something happened with EPL. We're like, okay, we'll do it next year. 
Three weeks ago, I get a, an email from Gordon Banks at the league, who's fantastic, who's on point with this, says, is there any way you guys can pull this together? And you know us, we like hard challenges. <laughs> Every, everybody, you know, everybody's like, uh, but then they bought in and it's been fantastic. Yeah. You know, and so we had Chelsea come in uh, at the end of last weekend. Wolves got here Monday night. We played a game against Chelsea at Rio Tinto. Our ownership was awesome. They said, no, no, no. I, you know, we know there's a cost there, but let's play our yeah. games in our stadium. Yeah. Uh, we had, I think... Almost 2,000 fans there, nice. which, you know, for U21 games, yeah. fantastic. A lot of Chelsea jerseys, but I'm going to say they're also RSL fans. Uh, the environment was great. The game was fantastic. Our goal in this is to, one, create a great experience for our players. You mm -hmm. know, is it come to RSL sure. Academy, go to the program. These are the kind of things you can do. But also as a measuring stick against how we're doing. You know, we brought the Academy out several years ago. The goal is to build professionals. The result was fantastic. You know, we won in PKs. We had our goalkeeper stop and Gavin take. Beavers yeah. is a stud, yeah. Which was fantastic. It was fun to watch. But where I got the goosebumps is everything we started four or five years ago, we're starting to see mm. play out. Mm -hmm. We went against Chelsea's U21s. You saw the players. They were 6'2", yeah. 175. Yeah. It's Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, we gave up an early goal and fought back. The resiliency that I saw sure. with that group going down a couple times, missing a PK to play as a team and come back and win. Yeah. Mirrors a lot of what our first team does. Yeah, sure. Right? We're building resilient players that can play yeah. and step up to those levels. Which which might be a tad surprising, right? Cuz the Monarchs have had a very rough year. They've 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 had I don't know, probably 30 different guys wear the Monarchs jerseys. Hamison is training with a different group every day, but not to make excuses. What I saw in that game is a guy that hasn't watched a ton of Monarchs this year because of my travel schedule um is a team that Grew into the game together, uh, fought for each other. You know, giving up a near post goal two minutes in, I think a lot of people expected a shellacking, right? And it, the guy's shoulders didn't slump. It took him another ten or fifteen minutes to kind of get back into the game. As Homison said, he he said, "I got I told those guys to get their line of confrontation about twenty five yards further up the field. And then everybody grew in the game, whether it was Diego Luna, whether it was Tyrone Mondi, whether it was uh, Christian Neidegger or whoever. I can name 10 guys. It was just a lot of fun to watch kind of evolve over the 90 minutes. We knew it was going to be a little bit of a tough season for these guys. So, you know, I'll give the example of Seattle. Seattle's had pretty continuous, continuous group with their with their second team, yeah. whether they're in USL or MLS Next Pro, for about three or four years. They were playing 15, 16, 17-year-olds. They had a rough couple of years in that. Those kids now yeah. are doing very well this season. Not only that, is half that team because the injuries is going yeah, up and playing. Yeah, they get thrown in MLS games right. and they're earning results. So there's always going to be a cycle with classes, mm -hmm. right? We're in an early cycle. Our striker's 14 years old. But as part of the development program, you know the results sometimes won't go your way. Often this year, and, and there's frustration. Mm -hmm. But fighting through that frustration to succeed sure. is a key to development. And right, and we, they came off a two-game win streak. Right. Yep. Came in and played Chelsea well. So let's see what happens the next year, okay. the rest of the year. Do they take that? Is there a little yeah. bit of drop off? But now you have a standard with which to set. Sure. I talked to our strength conditioning uh, department. That was the highest GPS uh, load that we've had all year. But now there's the <clears throat> realization you can play fast yeah. like that. You can run that far. Yeah. So now it's up to the coaches to really. <clears throat> reinstill that into the guys and they're doing a great job. And I know it's been frustrating for the coaches. So there's that management too of guys, we knew it was going to be a young group. We knew we were going to have to manage. We knew we were going to develop. You're starting to see the fruits of that. Well, and 
I think people pay lip service to the friction between development and winning or development and results. They're not mutually exclusive, but I also don't think it's realistic to expect both. I think it goes back to the cycle of where you're at. I think building the resiliency is the first key in the early cycle to build the ability to push through when things aren't going your way Mm -hmm. to come out to succeed. Because I do agree with people that building winners, some of it comes from a winning culture, but you have to build into that, Mm -hmm. right? And you have to teach them how to become winners, how to become resilient, how to do those sorts of things. Um, especially in the MLS. I mean, the differences from playing at home and going on the road yeah. and all the challenges that come with that or all the injuries we tend to see and you're rotating next man up. Are you built mentally to do that? You know, we, we're we teaching the tactical and technical on a daily yeah. basis. And we're really starting to dig into this mental space um, because we think that's one of the most important, not just mental soccer vision, mental resiliency and toughness sure. in, in how do you build that? <clears throat> Some yeah. people are built like that. Yeah. A Haciel Orozco built like that. Sure. Right. It doesn't mean it's not a knock against anybody else. It's that's the part of the learning process yeah. when you're 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Where, where's your head at and the collective front office head at on developing guys like Hazi or Axel or Beavers or whoever for ourselves or develop, developing them to a point to sell them? Because Obviously, Dallas is coming in this weekend. They've got a great track record of selling players overseas for a lot of money, but they really haven't done anything in MLS in the last decade. Um, Philadelphia has dipped their toe in the sales water a little bit. You know, certainly there are people at MLS that want us all to be more of a selling league and selling club. We've not hit that lottery, if you will, but, and I've said this, I'm old school. I want, Justin Gladden, Jordan Allen. I wanted them to play for us for 15 years when we signed them. Now Justin's been around for, what, eight years? It's insane. He's played 170 games in our uniform. Um, When he plays, we win, and we don't give up goals. When he doesn't play, and the numbers this year are insane. Um, So just, I think from a, and I know it's, it boils down to write a case by case basis. You got to do what's best for this player's situation at this moment in time, both for what's best for him and for the club, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's a tough. I think our primary mentality is building players for the first team for what you talk about, but the reality of the league and the American player in the zeitgeist over the last two or three years right. is his. You have to look at that, and and you do have to look at it from the player's perspective too. Of you know, is there a point, and I hope not, I, I want Justin here until he retires, sure. but does he want that challenge? Yeah. And, and that's something that you have to have a good relationship with the players to be able to discuss those things. Yeah. I think that there's there's cases that maybe that player doesn't quite have what we need in the MLS just by the style of play what we do, but, but maybe that player would be great in Liga MX. But that's something you talk about them early on. You know, and, and a lot of that can also do those kids that get called to the national team and what direction they're going to go. But when we're looking now, it, it every development process is for our first team. Now, the hope is our first team um, builds enough and looks enough like uh, teams that people are interested in, right? Because there is reality, financial reality uh, of of MLS now. Where I would argue against the Dallas model is they went whole hog on sales. I think it was something like 30 million, 36 yeah. million. Their team suffered ridiculously. Yeah, for they it. weren't putting that money back into the first team. Yeah. Whereas uh, when we had uh, uh, Frankfurt here, mm-hmm. 
uh, we were talking and they, their whole mentality is, well, we can sell the whole team and build another team. Well, you can't do that in MLS with yeah. the roster restrictions, sure. the salary cap, just the vibe in the team, just yeah. to rotate that many players out. So it, it is a fine balance. And, and look, I think we're getting a lot closer than we've ever been to that, given some of the talent we're pushing mm-hmm. out, given, you know, you saw you saw how Diego did it at the U20s. Sure. It was freaking incredible. Um but Diego was brought in to play for us, yeah. right? And, and to be that piece. If that means he plays well enough and there's offers and the player wants to go and, yeah. and ownership's like, yes, this is a good revenue opportunity, of course we'll, we'll pursue yeah. that. But I think the primary model right now is to build for our team. And that doesn't sure. doesn't discount any of the other pieces. And of course, if the offer came, we'd... we'd Obviously, every transfer window, shiny new things, shiny new signings are sexy, right? For fan bases and media and social and all that kind of stuff. Do you think, though, the continuity piece is ignored uh, publicly and in the fan base? Because, like, right now we're sitting here, we're seeing Nashville is spending ridiculous money, I would call it, um, on Shaq Moore, you know, and other names that people kind of know. Certainly LAFC, which I would argue has been a development club, is suddenly spending a lot of money on big name you're aging Europeans, which kind of goes against their grain. Um, a lot of teams that we are ahead of in the table are bringing players in. You can't argue with what Columbus has done with with Cucho scoring four goals in 88 minutes, uh, $10 million striker from, um, from Watford. I know our fans are impatient uh, at these windows, but when you look at the body of work and what we've done, I'm not saying we won't do anything – but an Elliot gets mocked when he says, look, we've got Demir and Bobby. They're going to be healthy here in a matter of weeks. Imagine adding those guys back to a group that is fifth or sixth in the supporter shield race and still on track to have a home playoff game. I guess you guys are thankfully insulated from the noise and the chatter on all this. And and Pablo, I think, to an extent is too, where you guys are, are really looking – Hey, is there somebody that can help us in the next 10 games? But historically in MLS, there's not a lot of summer signings that do come in and make a difference in the final, especially like a a compacted season like this one is. So I I don't know. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. But I guess just where is what is your perspective on not just this window, but how you assimilate. Uh, and like we were talking earlier about Cordoba, like it takes time to adjust to a new locker room, a new culture, a new language, a new coaching style, all these things. And eventually, if you're committed from a work ethic standpoint and you're talented enough, your quality shines through. And I think we're about to see that with Sergio. Um, I don't know. That's just where I'm at. But your thoughts on the current current window and the current plans for the window. Look, on the one hand, I respect everything all our fans say because they're they're stakeholders in what we do, right? We're not out there if the fans aren't there. And and I take it, look, I'm not on social media, but you share yeah. stuff. I take it as coming from a place of such love for the club. They just want to be the best. They want to compete Absolutely. with these guys. Spend this money. They want to do all this stuff. But the one thing I don't think it's seen a lot is the locker room dynamic mm. and the coaching dynamic. I see a lot of teams spending a lot of money as the way to endear themselves. And sometimes I don't know if they're doing it as if it's the right player to fit what they do. Sure. I think the biggest example, and no disrespect to Chicago, Mm. look how much money they spent over the last three years. They cannot solve 
the culture piece. Sure. And I'm not saying their locker room sucks. I'm just saying those players all being a unit playing together versus just having a bunch of high cost players on the field. Yeah. Great individuals, but do they play as a team? Sure. I think, you know, there was a dearth of anything happening over the 18 months where we didn't have an, have an owner, mm. right? It, it was a struggle for us. We were so locked in, and I think we did very well with what we had. I think the the idea is ownership's come in. We got ownership. We're going to do this. Yeah. The push-pull of that is we have our coach, who's a big culture guy, who's built a locker room that he feels is so tight that it's going to get him where he goes. So while we are on the hunt, I mean, Kurt and Elliot have been working like nonstop sure. on this stuff. The piece has to one, be something Pablo needs, but he feels fits the locker room and doesn't detract because we've seen a lot of locker rooms where one bomb can blow sure. it up. So right now, maybe we are punching above our weight in third, right? But it's a fine balance between the spend to bring someone in and disrupting where we are right now, especially with Dami and Bobby and where they're at. Right. I can't comment on where they're at, but, but I do know where they're at. And, and you're getting two big pieces back. Okay, they're not Cucho at the $10 million, but is that decision going to affect the team, which mm. could then affect results when the team is firing in all cylinders. Sure. So that that's really a balance that I don't know if people think about because it it it's a living organism. Right. Right. And and one wrong call can can really affect that when we're already doing well. Can we do better? Yes. Did we drop some games? Yes, but it's MLS. We have so yeah. many games in the season. So really right now, that is the balance. It's not a cheapness, it's not ownership unwillingness. It's it's that balance of the locker room right now um, to to go forward with that and continue that and, and nurture that so it's it doesn't nothing goes sideways. Yeah. And look, we do our due diligence. We interview players. You do all that. But Pablo has to feel that this piece will be additive and and benefit rather than – and I'm not putting it on him. I'm just saying that's the mentality sure. of the club. And and uh, so the guys are working hard. Uh, you know, there's – I know Kurt's looked at thousands of – I mean, literally thousands. And and it's it's – there's a lot of players out there, but of those thousands, do they fit the way Pablo wants to play? Mm -hmm. Do they fit our principles of play? Do they, do they, are they in a position we want to play? Then, yeah. and then when you come down to it is, um, how is that going to affect the group? Right. So, um, it's a balance and I know people are probably frustrated. I, I would, I would, uh, say that it's not in action based on laziness. It's careful action at mm -hmm. this point. Makes sense. What has been the most pleasant i think surprise for you over the last six months in terms of anything inside the club i mean it's really nice having direction again <laughs> and having ownership who knows where they want to go and being yeah. a part of that i mean i think that's that's healthy i think we we did a lot with a little but there's some flailing there because you're just trying to stay afloat now it's a, a common goal and direction where we want to go and that's fantastic so having that direction probably gives you guys a chance again to be probably more creative than you were able to be. Is that the right word? No, I mean, we were really creative last yeah. 18 months because we had to be, but creative within, okay, we all know where we're marching Creatively towards. ambitious. Yeah, 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 I'd say that for sure. Okay. Yeah. And, awesome. and ownership is ambitious, man. So don't let fans out there, don't think that they're not. They're absolutely uh, ambitious on that. And and the new reach we have with the sister clubs is something unique. And, and you'll see a lot more with that going forward. Yeah. How has that 
kind of work because it's it's been probably six months of trying to figure it out, yeah. right? And Augsburg operates differently than Palace or Estoril, or obviously we've done a lot with Beveren lately. Yeah. And I think the Blitzer group has a different percentage of interest in these different clubs. So each one is kind of a unique situation, I imagine. Yeah, look, and and with us coming in, it's all just uh, ownerships working to 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 uh, figure out kind of the collective and and how that's all centralized and how it's organized, and yeah. and that's where the work is right now. U fifteen kids made it to the final, uh, dropped a bit of a heart heartbreaker against Miami and our our old friend uh, Santi Morales. But <laughs> um, just what are your thoughts on on the U fifteen different group, but getting to the U fifteen final in consecutive years, winning last year. Uh, falling, uh, unfortunately, this year. But what does that kind of say to you guys about the job that Arnold is doing in the academy? Uh, certainly Chris and um, Andrew and Jordan and everybody else and, and just kind of that that class, that pipeline coming through. Yeah, look, I think one of the benefits we had is adding John Spencer, who's our recruitment director. Yep. I think our recruiting classes every year of the last three years have have just gotten better. I think that there's a lot more interest within the league now of of uh, working together for younger players on deals, mm. you know, with some back end um, benefits on that. Um, so you'll see see that in our class. I think it's a testament to what we've been building back to talking about the Monarchs and the Academy um, program and how with an idea just really marching towards that and slogging through that you're seeing the fruit of that and. Um, you know, the goal is that they continue to grow their principal base and, and get better and play with the Monarchs and hopefully go to the first team. You know, in, in our seat, obviously losses sting. Uh -huh. But for me, the fact that we got to the finals two years in a row was a testament to kind of what we're trying to do here. Sure. And that goes back to the whole development versus winning. Um, last question. Uh, what would your... I guess message of appreciation be uh, to the fans that are set. I think now we're pretty close to have an eleventh consecutive sellout on the MLS side at Rio Tinto uh, this Pioneer Day against Dallas. I mean, it gives me goosebumps. I yeah. think, man, it's fantastic. I mean, one internally, it's a testament to all the departments working together. Right? It's just fantastic. Okay. The, everything at the club. It's how can I help? And and Matt Raider's group being able to get those sellouts and the environment and the vibe i mean the players talk about it all the time yeah. you know and you can see what the performance is like we're becoming a fortress again um uh and your question is what would i say to the fans about yeah. that yeah yeah it's fantastic please keep coming you're you're firing <laughs> the players up and they're so excited yeah. about it um and and again you guys are the lifeblood of our club so yeah. please keep the uh keep the comments coming i appreciate the criticism and and if we can address that and kind of where we can give you a peek behind the curtain tell you what's going on know that that uh the fans and the team are all, all pulling the order the same way, and we want the same thing because we love this club and we love this city. Obviously, Pablo talks a lot about mentality, but I got to think, because looking at Pablo's head coaching career at RSL now, it's 35 games, so it's it's roughly a full season sample size. Um, for this team under his direction to have only dropped back-to-back -back home games once and to – have that mentality piece be reflected with 11 wins and two draws against only one loss in kind of what I would call bounce back games, games following losses um, and, and being so dominant at home and returning the fortress. I think 
Um, those are just very reflective of that mentality piece, but also to me, inspirational for what's to come. And I think it is a byproduct of the fans re-engaging with the club as they have over the last, I don't know, year or so. Look, man, I want to run through a wall for Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. he's just that kind of inspiring yeah. person. And and really uh, the inspiration, but also putting some responsibility back in the players and the senior group and, and you know, how they also help, you know, motivate their, their compatriots on the field. It's, it's great. Um, I, I keep saying last question, but then we keep going. So I'll, I'll, I'm not going to say it, but this when, is why I, I've been here four times in a row. I love them. <laughs> when you, when you look at certainly like losing Demir the way we did is a gut punch. But then when you look at the way that Marcelo Silva has stepped up wearing the armband, uh, that Justin Glad has taken his game to even another level. Um, Justin Miram has played almost every minute of every game, save for one international date. And uh, the one game that he was going to get rest, he had to come in like 14 minutes in because Julio got hurt. Uh, bringing Julio back. Like Zach McMath playing at an all-star level. Out of his mind. Um, Aaron Herrera getting a new deal. Uh, Pablo Ruiz stepping his game up. Um, Jasper. Jasper, obviously, uh, kind of being a, the diamond in a rough that just won't quit. Um it's been a pretty awesome year so far when you think about each of those individual stories coming together as a collective to get the results that they've gotten. 100%. But again, it goes back to the mentality that comes from the head. I mean, yeah. that's how every organization is like that. Yeah. And Pablo's built something special. And and, and um, I really believe in it. I believe in what he's done. I believe in his coach as a human being. And you see that reflected in the players, right? And it's, you know, back to the believe, it's trite, but they believe, yeah. man. Like, you know, and and I think the gods want Justin to play because <laughs> he came back in and uh, he's a, been fan, a fantastic leader. I mean, it's just back to those sorts of things. You know, yeah. Justin Miriam's working on his coaching license and, and has access to the academy. He's down there all the time working with the kids. That's so he awesome. has a relationship with the kids. We see guys out watching the Monarchs train. Yep. You know, just that collective idea of this is our club and th- this is the future down below us, but we're all part of that. It's that's what we're seeing here. Well, and to what you just said, losing that two zero lead at home against Colorado, you still get the Rocky Mountain Cup. It feels a little hollow. Literally twenty minutes after the final whistle, like no fewer than ten guys are out there cheering on, coaching the unified team, yep. and. And even seeing the guys in street clothes like Demir and Bobby, I think Glad was out that game. And then the guys who just played, like all of them going back out to put the medals on the kids after they won the unified game. I think it was 3-1. That was like heart-rending stuff. But that's who the guys are. I mean, at the beginning of the year, Dami and the rest of the senior group came and said, we want to be in the community more because this is our community. I Mm -hmm. mean, that is who they are, right? And and it's not – done for the cameras. They're not just high-paid mercenaries. No. Yep. no. They love the city. They love the club. That's awesome. Well, Rob, let us know what we can do for you guys. I appreciate your time as always. And um, we look forward to uh, seeing you at the stadiums and uh, having you on again soon. When can I expect that gold watch for the fifth time? Is that... Um, what are we now? We're late July, I think. Um, Tony back <laughs> okay. Yeah. Again, I know I'm the backup, but I appreciate it because uh, I love talking to you. Probably guys. September-ish. Okay. Good. Yeah. Right, that's about the time I need a new watch. So awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. We'll talk to you next week after what we hope is another home sellout, home win 
against FC Dallas. And then the team wraps up July with its sixth and final game of the month at San Jose. Important to try to grab some points on the road after dropping them at home against Columbus and Colorado.